Good morning, church. I'm so excited to see you all here. We're going to worship the Lord. Will you stand with me, please?
fails and never gives up, never runs out on me. Is this working? Is it working? Oh, there we go. Good morning, Parkway family. It's so good to be here with you. Isn't it awesome to be all together today? I love it too. It's so weird that I get to see everyone all at the same time. It's pretty awesome. I just wanted to welcome you to Parkway Christian Center this morning. We're so glad to have you here. It's going to be a really good day. Also, I want to welcome the online service. It's great to have you here too. Just a reminder for you guys, if you um, are coming here today and you need some prayer, we have people who want to do that for you. So there's some prayer signs on the walls in the back and you can go um, there to get prayer. Um, yeah, but I just wanted to welcome you, and I'm so excited for how God's going to show up and how God's going to speak to you guys today um, and just move for the first time all together in a long time. So it's going to be really exciting. All right, you guys, I'm going to pray real fast. Holy Spirit, I just thank you um, just for the, the opportunity that we get to be all together this morning, God. I thank you for your goodness, God. We just want to welcome you. We want to welcome you in before we... Um, start going into worship for the full set. God, before we the, even the sermon happens, God, we just want to welcome you. Would you come in? Would you flood this room, God? Would you flood our hearts, Holy Spirit? You're the one that can change us, God. You're the one that can speak to us, God. And you're the one that we rely on. So we're asking that you would come into this room and do that, Father, this morning. We thank you for that, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. 
Jesus, you don't owe me anything more than anything that you can do. I just want you. Be. No place I would rather 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 be. No
place I would rather be Here in your love, here in your love Worthy of every song we could ever sing
What if? What if today is the day that a miracle takes place? What if today is the day that someone declares, I will serve the Lord all the days of my life? What if today is the day where a family that was head for brokenness is fully restored? What if today is the day that someone breaks free from their addictions and their bondage to slavery? And what if today is the day that someone goes home and says, we have financial peace? That can be your day if you come expecting. That can be your day. Today can be your day. Today the altar can be the place where you have an encounter with God like you've never had before. Today can be the day where you walk out of here and say, I don't know what happened, but God had his way with me. That can be your day. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Seniors, pray. CR, pray. Young people, let's pray and go to the Lord believing. And if not for you, for the person to the next to you, it could be their day and you're interceding on their behalf. Amen? Let's lift our hands up. God, we just come before you right now and we say, Lord, it is the day today that you have created. We will rejoice and we will be glad in it, Lord God. We will praise you, we will honor you, and we will glorify you. No matter what's going on around us, Lord, today is the day you have set aside for us to worship you in one accord. In one accord, Lord, we have gathered here at Parkway today to lift up your name, to hear from you, and to honor you. Lord, help us to encourage and to exhort those around us this day, Lord God. Help us to be sensitive, Holy Spirit, to the needs of those that are, are just put on our hearts, and give us the boldness, Lord. Lord God, to move as the Holy Spirit gives us direction. Give us a great boldness, Lord God, to be obedient to you like we've never been before. Lord, we people have described us as a nation that has gone to sleep in Christianity. Lord, wake us up today. Lord, revive us today. And Lord, renew us today to do things beyond ourselves so that you get all the glory, that you receive all the honor, and that you receive all the praise. And Lord God, teach us not to back down from our faith, but to stand up against it, Lord God. When those people tell us that we cannot, we should not, we will not, we say, have you met my God? Have you met my God? We give you praise and we give you glory for this day in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. amen. Do I have anybody here from Celebrate Recovery today? Do I have anybody here who's in our youth department and children's department today? Do I have anybody here that is serving as a volunteer at Parkway Christian Center today? Moms and dads. Those without kids, which is also a blessing, praise God. All the food in the fridge stays yours. I have to do something really quick because we're all together and I just got so excited. So uh, everyone put your arms up and say cheese. There we go. That's one for the history books. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please focus your attention on the screens for today's video announcements. Lord bless you. Good morning, Parkway. I'm Carissa, and I'm so glad that you're joining us this morning. I have a few things I want to let you know about. First, if you're new or visiting us, welcome. We are so glad you're here. Let us know that you're here by filling out one of our Connect cards. You can find that Connect card in the pew in front of you, or you can submit it online at parkwaycc.com slash connect card. 
Here at Parkway, we're a praying church and we would be honored to come alongside you in prayer. You can also use that Connect card to submit your prayer requests or praise reports. And good news, you can do it online, not just on Sundays, but any time of the week. If you came prepared today to worship in your tithes and offerings, you can do that in two ways. One, you can do that online at parkwaycc.com slash give. And again, you can do that anytime, not just on Sundays. Or our ushers will be standing at the doors after service for you to drop off your envelopes with them directly. There is so much going on at Parkway and a lot coming up over the summer. You can be in the know anytime by looking at our website at parkwaycc.com slash events or following us on social media on Facebook or Instagram. Hi everyone, I'm Pastor Kylie. Recently our students went to the Amplify Fine Arts and Ministry Conference here in Oregon. Uh, This conference is designed to help our students discover, develop, and deploy the gifts that God's given them. And at this conference, five of our students were invited to go to the national conference. Here's a few clips of what we did this weekend. Hey Kylie, what are you doing? I was just thinking about the last time we were here. What? When was that? I forgot to turn it on. (laughs) All right. Oh 
welcomed in this place Cause there's nothing better than being here with you Oh, our hearts are ready for you Let this be your throne room for fall on us Don't hold back us You're all our hearts desire My heart is beating out of my chest And nothing's gonna hold us back So we talked about some of our young people going to the Fine Arts Festival and being invited to go to the National Festival, and uh, Sarah's one of those. And Thank you. 
You want your microphone? What? You want your microphone? You take it home? Sure. Okay. <laughs> so Sarah, you wrote that song, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's an original song as well. So here's the thing. Some of us have, uh, you know, had a couple more birthdays than Sarah and have had a lot of wonderful experiences in life. And uh, I'm just thinking that we should be thinking seriously about uh, maybe helping fund that trip to nationals for her and some of the other students so that they can have some of those kinds of experiences. So uh, I want you to be maybe be thinking about that and what, how you'd like to contribute to that. Uh, over the next few weeks, you're going to get to see uh, different, uh, different uh, people from the youth department that uh, either sang or played or danced or whatever they did. Uh, you're going to get a chance to, to see and hear them over the next few weeks and, and uh, just to appreciate the talent that God's given them. But uh, I, I think we should think seriously about supporting them and uh, helping them to be able to have that experience. So let's, uh, let's, let's, maybe, let's maybe think about that. Fair enough? Yeah, yeah. I think it'll be a good thing. Glad to see all of you. I'd, uh, I'd like to believe you came here because you knew I was going to say something important, but you're probably here for the food. <laughs> that's, that's probably what's really going on, you know. So, <laughs> but I got you on that. I cooked part of it. So if, if you get a sandwich and it's really, really good, that's the part I cooked. If it's just good, it's the part Cliff cooked. That's, that, that would be the difference. No, I did, that, anyway, several of us got involved in that. Kylie, I see you back there. You're looking to collect some uh, people from middle school. So if you are in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, uh, I guess uh, as of this week, it's still if you just finished. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you're in middle school, uh, Hook up with Pastor Kylie, and you guys will be heading over to the Hull Center, and then we'll uh, get back together for lunch. So that'll be a good thing. I don't often have titles for sermons. Uh, I, I, I'm not very good at it, um, but I do have one today. All right, are you ready? Okay, it's a, it's a little bit long. It's not catchy. Like, titles should be really catchy, but, but it, it, makes, it's, it, it makes the point. It's possible to lose your way without losing your marbles. Yeah? It's possible to lose your way without losing your marbles, all right? So like I say, I, I, it's, it's probably not clever. It's probably not catchy. I don't know that anybody's going to, you know, post it or anything, uh, you know, hashtag it. That's a pretty long hashtag. <laughs> but it, it does, it does kind of say what Jesus is, is saying in this parable that we're going to look at. We've been looking at this uh, series of the parables of Jesus, and we've got a few more to go. Uh, we just thought if, if Jesus was going to tell these stories, it would probably be important for us to figure out what they meant. Um, so we've been trying to figure out what they mean, and some of them are easier than others, uh, but uh, hopefully today we'll, we'll be able to catch on to how it's possible to lose your way without losing your marbles. So I, I want to give you the setting of what's going on uh, that this story comes uh, out of. We're, we're, just a, we're just days away from the crucifixion of Jesus, so that's where we are kind of in the timeline of events uh, out of the Gospels. Uh, there's been kind of a simmering conflict between Jesus and this ruling group. Um, and it's, it, it's an interesting deal. There's a group of 70, the Sanhedrin it's called. There's a group of 70 that rule the Jewish nation under the permission of the Romans. Okay, so the Romans are the ones with, you know, spears and swords and all of that, but they, they allow a certain amount of local control. And so this group of 70, and it's a, it's a weird coalition of political factions. So you have priests, 
that are part of the descendants of Aaron. So you got that group, and they've got some votes on the Sanhedrin. And then you've got this other group of people called the Pharisees, and they have some votes on the Sanhedrin. And then you've got the scribes and the lawyers, and that group has a couple of votes on the Sanhedrin. So it's, it's like a, a, a dysfunctional political thing that where these guys compete with each other, but they also kind of work together sometimes. They all hate the Romans. That, that's the one thing they don't for sure, but they don't have the same theology even. But these people, these different parties have elected certain people. They've gotten onto the Sanhedrin. And if you look today in Israel, you go to the Knesset and there are 70 members. It, they, they have the same structure of government there now that they had back in Jesus's day. So this coalition of people, these priests, these Pharisees, the scribes, the lawyers, these, this group, they're all kind of been fussing with Jesus because he's messing with the system. And so they're uncomfortable with the fact that he's doing that. And this kind of semi-functional, social, political, religious group of leaders has been, been fussing with Jesus for about three years now, and it's starting to come to a head. Um, Jesus is not saying or doing bad things, right? I mean, he's basically coming and saying, hey, the kingdom of God is here. God loves you. And to prove it, I'm going to do things like heal you. I mean, there's, there, there's, there's really nothing very wrong about that message. There's nothing that this group of 70 should be fussing with Jesus about because he's saying, God loves you and I'm going to prove it by doing miracles that help you. That should be good news. And the problem is, is that it in fact is good news and Jesus is getting more and more popular. That's the problem. <laughs> The problem is, is that the good news really is good news. These guys have been saying stuff that's religious and spiritual sounding, but it doesn't, there's no good news connected to it. It's just a bunch of rules and condemnation and makes everybody feel bad about themselves. Jesus is coming along saying, hey, let's kind of look in a different direction. God really loves you and he's willing to prove it. And so Jesus is getting more and more popular. So I said, that's, that's the problem because the Romans who are in charge of everything, don't care which local Jew is in charge of local affairs so long as the taxes get paid and the pieces of the peace of Rome, right? The Pax Roma, as long as that's maintained. That's all the Romans care about. So if Jesus turns out being more popular than the Pharisees and the scribes and the priests, the Romans are simply going to say, hey, that's our new guy. Because the Romans don't care. But the guys that already have power do care whether they're going to lose their power. That's a big deal to them. And so that's why this conflict has been brewing, and that's why this thing is getting, getting more and more difficult. So Jesus shows up in the temple. It's the, what's called the week of preparation. So we're getting ready for this festival of... Passover. Some of you know the story. So Passover is coming. Passover is one of the three feasts that by Jewish law, every Jewish male is supposed to come to Jerusalem, present himself before God three times a year. This is one of those times, and it is the biggest of the three times when that happens. And so there are Jews making pilgrimages on trips. They are showing up in Jerusalem, getting ready for this festival of Passover. And Jesus is in the temple every day doing miracles and explaining to people, hey, God loves you and he's willing to prove it with a miracle. And now these people are really fussing with Jesus. The 
priests, the Pharisees, the scribes, the lawyers, the Sanhedrin, the group of 70, these people are now really fussing with Jesus. So they come to him. It's in Matthew chapter 21. All right? Matthew chapter 21. M-A-T. 2-1. That's how you look it up on your iPad. So Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? You know they already know the answer to that question? They already know the answer to that question. They are not asking this question because they are confused. They already know the answer. We know that because you remember back in John chapter 3? Jesus is talking to a guy by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is one of the 70. So three years earlier, Nicodemus, one of the 70, one of the Sanhedrin, comes to Jesus. And he starts the conversation by saying, we know that you are a man sent by God because no one could do the things that you do if God were not with him. That's how Nicodemus starts the conversation. What authority are you doing these things by and who gave you that authority? Three years earlier, they knew the answer to that question. Three years earlier, they knew the answer to that question. They are not asking this question because they want to know the answer. They are asking this question because they want to pick a fight. That's why they're asking this question. Because they're waiting for Jesus. Because if Jesus says, well, I'm here on my own authority, then they're going to say you're invalid. If he says, I'm here doing this under the authority of God, they're going to say you're a blasphemer. They are asking the question to pick a fight. Not because they want to know the answer. They already know the answer. They know he's a man sent from God. They knew it three years earlier. The problem is, he's just getting too stinking popular. And he's a threat to them. So Jesus replied, Well, I'll ask you one question, and if you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John the Baptist. John's baptism. Where did that come from? Was it from heaven or was it of human origin? I, I always thought that Jesus was just clever because he, he catches these guys with this question. I want you to see Jesus is more than just clever. Jesus is revealing the very core of who they are by asking this question. As it says, they discussed it among themselves. And they said, if we say that it is from heaven, then he will ask us, then why didn't you believe in him? But if we say it was of human origin, we are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said, then neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Jesus is so smart. He's so smart. He knows what the issue is. 
He knows what their heart condition is. He knows what the real questions are. And he immediately turns this thing around and he exposes them. These are supposed to be the social, political, religious leaders of the day. They are supposed to know more about God than anybody else knows about God. These are the greatest living Old Testament theologians of their time. They know more about the Old Testament scriptures than anybody else. They're supposed to be more aware of what's going on in terms of God's activity on the planet than anybody else. And the fact is, they are willing to set aside everything they know to be true to maintain their status and power. And Jesus, boom, that quick, in one question, reveals their heart to themselves and to everybody around them. But Jesus is not willing to leave well enough alone. You know, it's one thing to just expose what the situation is. He's going to try to take advantage of this opportunity and get these people one more opportunity to repent and respond and experience what God has for them. This is going to be one of the last chances that Jesus has to talk to this group of people together. And so he's going to try to move them toward repentance. He's not going to try to put them in their place. He's not going to try to humiliate them publicly. Matthew records for us a time when Jesus sat down with his disciples and said, hey, I want you to look at what these people are teaching. The things they teach from Scripture are good and important, and you should honor that. But the way they live, you should not copy that because they are incredible hypocrites. Jesus is going to be very pointed in those conversations. At this moment, he's not being pointed. He's not going after them. He's not being malicious. He's not trying to trap them in some way. He's literally trying to open up the door for repentance for them. So in this situation, Jesus is trying this one last time to get their attention. What he says is direct. What he says is clear. What he says is bold. But it is not mean-spirited and it is not demeaning. And I think that's important for us to figure out in our culture. Because our culture has trouble being bold and direct and honest without being mean-spirited and cruel. We have to figure that balance out. some, Some of you got molested on your way into church a few weeks ago by some people who haven't figured out how to speak the truth without doing it in a way that is angry and demeaning and hurtful. Our culture is just not very good at this. Jesus is a master at it. He reveals the situation and then he turns around and offers these guys an opportunity for repentance and he does it boldly and directly, but he does it kindly. So here's what he says. He says, so guys, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first one and he said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I'm not going, he said. But later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son and he said the same thing. And that son said, I will go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? This isn't very hard, right? You don't have to study Greek and Hebrew for six years to figure out the story. It's pretty plain, isn't it? You know, which of the two did what the father wanted? Well, the first one, they said. So Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Because John, back to John the Baptist, his question to them. John came to you to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. 
but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and you did not believe. Ooh. Pretty direct, right? Pretty bold, pretty in your face. Not mean, not angry, but pretty clear. So, so what can we observe from the story? Well, it, it, it's fairly familiar in the sense that a, Jesus tells a variation of that same kind of story several times. We got a dad and two sons, right? The dad's always a nice guy. One of the sons is a villain. The other one's a hero. There are several parables that are based on that same concept. And here's another one that comes through, right? So the story is pretty short in length. It's pretty short in detail. But I think we have a proverb that we say that kind of covers the point of what Jesus is trying to say here, and that is that actions speak louder than words. Right? I mean, that's pretty common to all of us. That's a phrase we've all heard, and most of you probably used at some point, actions speak louder than words, right? And isn't that the point of the story? Isn't that what Jesus just said? The two sons both said things, and the two sons both did things. And in the end, what they did spoke louder than what they said. See, promises without actions are lies. Promises without action are lies. And compliments without sincerity is manipulation. I marked it twice on there. So underline it. Promises without actions are lies. And compliments without sincerity is manipulation. As one guy said, what you are doing is so loud I can no longer hear what you're saying. These men are not uneducated. They are not uninformed. They are simply disconnected from what they know, and they are ignoring what they have seen. And we could spend a lot of time talking about that and figuring out why. But the point of the story for us is, let's not be like them. That's the point of the story for us. Let's not be like them. So here's, here's a question. I'll make you work for your food. <laughs> Here's a question. What is motivating you to deny what you know and ignore what you've seen? Thanks for asking. What is motivating you to deny what you know and ignore what you have seen? Is God doing something and he forgot to ask you how it should be done? That was the Pharisees' problem, right? Three years earlier, Nicodemus shows up in the middle of the night. We know you are a man sent from God, for no one could do the things that you do unless God were with him. They knew the answer to that question. They knew he was a man sent from God. Now, at that point, they had no understanding of him being the actual Messiah and the Son of God or any of the rest of it. They are simply looking at the very first things that Jesus says and does. And they already know at that point he's a man sent from God. But something is motivating them now to ignore what they know to be true and to ignore the miracles they've seen. 
It is entirely possible for us to know who Jesus is and to know that he's the one who does miracles and to still ignore what he's asking us to do. Because something starts to motivate our behavior other than that knowledge. So maybe he's doing something and he forgot to ask you how it should be done. To make it worse, maybe he forgot to use you to get it done. He's using that other guy over there. See, we got PhD versus fisherman. The PhD guys know you are a man sent from God for no one could do the things that you do unless God were with him. Over here, I got a fisherman that's just trying to figure out who Jesus is. The fisherman gets it right. You are the Messiah. The PhD guy gets it wrong. Not because he doesn't know things, but because there's something else motivating his behavior. He's willing to set aside what he knows to be true so that he can maintain his power and authority in that culture. And you and I face the similar kinds of situations. Do you know the right thing to do, but you'd rather be comfortable or well thought of or maintain your lifestyle or your influence or you simply don't want to put out the effort? What is it? Because if he's really God and we're not, then when he says, turn left, you turn left because he's God and you're not. But when left looks scary, when left looks expensive, when left looks humiliating, when left looks hard, suddenly the fact that he's God and we're not doesn't matter anymore. Because I'm going to go right. Because right doesn't cost as much. And right isn't as embarrassing. And right isn't as much work. And right is more comfortable. So I'm going to turn right. Bless God in Jesus' name. Really? Because Jesus said to turn left. See, it's one thing to read the story and get all down on these weird Pharisees going, well, those guys really had problems. They're all messed up in the head. You know? And it's another thing to go, what was the point of that story? And then look in the mirror. Oh. <laughs> See, Jesus is challenging some very well-educated religious people that were looking right at the kingdom of God. It was standing in front of them in the person of Jesus, and they were choosing to miss it. They weren't misunderstanding. They were choosing to miss it. Hmm. Because it's just a few days later that the man who is the chief of the 70, the high priest, is going to say, if we don't do something about this Jesus, then the Romans are going to come and take away our place and we will lose our country. 
By that, they didn't mean that the country was going to dissolve. They meant that their authority to be in charge of the country was going to be lost. And the Romans were going to set them aside, and they were going to pick Jesus, because Jesus had more popularity than these guys did. And as I said, the Romans could care less which local Jew was running things, so long as the taxes are paid and the peace is maintained. And that high priest says, if we don't get rid of Jesus, the Romans are going to come take away our place and take away our country. We've got to do something about it. At that moment, a guy who knew Jesus was the Messiah, a guy who knew that Jesus was sent from God, a guy who knew that he could only do the miracles that he was doing if the Father had sent him, that same guy who knew all of those things was going to turn around and say, it is better to get rid of the Messiah and what God is doing than it is to give up our place of privilege. It was a choice they were making on purpose. And Jesus exposes all of that in the question that he asks and then in the story that he tells. He exposes every bit of that. And so for each one of us, the question becomes, what are we willing to set aside Jesus for? At what point are we willing to say, I would rather do this than obey? I would rather do this than behave? I would rather do this than follow Jesus because at this point, this is more important than everything I know to be true about him. That's the challenge for us, right? I mean, that's looking in the mirror, that's the challenge. As I said, it's just, it's just so much easier to read all of this stuff and go, ooh, bad Pharisees, I'm glad I'm not like that. You know, but man, every once in a while, don't we have to be honest with ourselves? We've looked right at Jesus and essentially said no. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I don't want to do it that way. That whole being humble thing, that doesn't work out too well. I'm going to assert myself. <laughs> that, that whole tithing thing, are you kidding me? I worked hard for that money. I'm not giving you any of that. I mean, if I get really touched, I might throw you a tenner, but I'm not, you know, there's no tithing going to be happening here. That's my money. Sorry, <laughs> just to bring it up, right? <laughs> but we're just so willing to set things aside that we know are true because we want what we prefer. We want what we like. We want what is comfortable. We want to maintain our status, our position. Whatever it is, we don't want to give that up. And so we look at Jesus and we say no. See, as soon as we exchange being obedient to God for other priorities and other motives, we lose our way. And it's not because we suddenly lost all of the information, all of the skill or talent that we had. It's because at that moment, the facts don't matter. The facts just don't matter. Because I want to do what I want to do. And the facts are actually getting in the way. So it's not that they don't matter even. I'm, I'm actually going to just, let's just shove that aside. Let's just pretend that's not true. Because I would rather do this. And, and the reason, and some of you are going, oh man, I didn't come to church to get beat up. I thought this was going to be a fun day. <laughs> I'll sing a couple happy songs, throw out a little devotional, have lunch. You know, it's supposed to be fun today. Here you are beating us all up with the Bible. It's killing me 
I, I think the reason that it's important for us to stop and look at this is because we live in a culture where the facts don't matter. And the influence of our culture, I mean, as much as I want to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, I still grew up in America. <laughs> and when I travel, they know where I'm from. I don't even have to tell them. Somehow, the way I'm dressed, walking down the street, they know where I'm from. Yeah. Now, the one cool thing about that is that everybody in the world somewhere speaks English. So you can, you can kind of, you know, it's the, it's the international language of trade, which is wonderful because, you know, you deal with people and they speak, speak six languages or whatever, you know. That luckily, one of them's English and you can figure out how to buy lunch, you know. I mean, it works out. They just know where I'm from. The fact is, I'm infected with America. <laughs> I can't get rid of it. It's just part of me. No matter how much I try to be like Jesus, there's always a little America that comes out of there. You know, it's just America. Yeah, that's if you're from the South. Yeah, in the South, they have America. <laughs> what do they have in Alaska? <laughs> Ice, yeah. Yeah, how do, how, do they, how do they say America in Alaska, Murray? You're from there. You should know that. The lower 48. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're above us. Oh, gosh. I should have known better than to ask him something. <laughs> but in our culture, this culture that it, that it affects all of us, no matter how true we try to be to Jesus, there's this culture thing seeks in. And I think in this situation, one of the things that this story does is it challenges this American thing that says the facts don't matter. Any news story you read that's supposed to be trying to explain things to you always has a statement and an anecdote. In other words, it has an illustration, it has a point. And they'll give you the name of some guy in Georgia who had this experience, and it proves the point of what they're trying to say. And that's how we debate things in America. Somebody states an opinion and then tells a story to back it up. And the person with the best story wins, not the person with the most facts. So whoever's got the most convincing story or the most tear-jerking story or the most, you know, pull on your heartstrings, oh my gosh, I feel sorry for all those people. What, six of them? How many of those people really exist? We don't know. We know at least one exists because that's what they put in their article. And that's how we make decisions in our culture. For good or for bad. I mean, it happens on all sides, right? Because you have people that absolutely disagree with each other and they both have a fact and they both have a story. In America, we just kind of go, best story wins. <laughs> best story wins. In a culture that makes decisions that way, you and I are highly susceptible to looking at the truth about Jesus and setting it aside for a story that we think is more appealing. So whether more appealing to you is more appealing has to do with comfort, or it has to do with money, or it has to do with your prestige and your place in the community, whatever appeals to you, there is a story that will appeal to you that will encourage you to set aside your obedience to Jesus in favor of the story. 
And at that moment, we're doing exactly what these Pharisees were doing. See, the priests, the Pharisees, the lawyers, they had not lost their marbles. They are still the most educated Old Testament scholars on the planet. And in spite of all of that education, they set it aside for what they preferred. Because if we don't do something about this Jesus, the Romans will come and take away our place and take away our country. Because he's more popular than we are. And in spite of everything we know, being popular is more important than anything else. So they come to Jesus. Well, by whose authority are you doing all of this? They already know whose authority he is using to do those things. So I just think it's important for us to figure that out. For some of you this morning that are still wondering whether or not you should become a follower of Jesus, I'm just going to suggest to you that if he is God and you are not, the most important thing and the smartest thing you could ever do would be to follow Jesus. <laughs> Today's a good day to make that decision you've been thinking about. Because he's God. <laughs> you, God, you, God. <laughs> what are you going to go with? <laughs> Let's go with the God guy. All right, yay! I'll be a Christian. I mean, it just makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, what happens? You start clicking through all the reasons. Well, I don't know. You know, I have to go to church all the time. I don't want to do that. You know? <laughs> I mean, I come today. They got food, but I don't want to come back next week. They're not going to feed me again. You know, I don't want to do that. <laughs> then he's going to start messing around with my budget. I don't want anybody messing with my budget. I mean, right? I mean, just all the reasons come up there. And I just want to offer to you today that in spite of every reason you can think of for why you shouldn't surrender your life to Jesus, none of those reasons is as important as the fact that he is God and you are not. And he has already proven his love for you. He is not going to mess with you. He is not going to double cross you. He is not going to harm you. Doesn't mean he's going to make everything easy. Because this is a pretty screwed up world. And sometimes he's just going to come alongside you and say, let's hold hands and walk ourselves through this thing. And for some of you that made that decision in the past, what is it that Jesus has asked you to do that you're saying no to? Wow, it got quiet. <laughs> Holy moly, it got quiet. <laughs> What's Jesus asking you to do that you're saying no to? Right, because that, that day when we knelt before Jesus and said, you are God and I am not, I am a sinner, forgive me of all of the ways I've messed up and change me at the core. On that day, we acknowledged that he was the guy that knew what was going on. And isn't it amazing how after years of being a good Christian, we come to the place that says, I'm not really sure he's as smart as he said he was. How do we get there? 
How do we get to the place of starting by acknowledging that he's God, and then after years of being a Christian, we end up in this place where we're saying, well, I don't think he's really all that clever. I've got a better idea. Are you kidding me? Where did we come up with that? I mean, what Sunday school song taught you that lesson? I mean, where did we, where did we come up with that? And yet we all do. Don't we? We all do. Oh my gosh, I have looked at Jesus. I can't tell you how many times. Are you sure? <laughs> really, Jesus? That's the best you can come up with? Are you sure? You know what happens next? He doesn't even respond. You know, I, I thought he'd at least give me an argument, you know, throw me three or four reasons why what he wants me to do is better than what I'm thinking of. And he just looks at me. Really, Weber? Really? I don't even get an answer from him when I do that. Because there is no answer. Weber, do what you're told. He's God, you're not. Yes, sir. <laughs> Your relationship with God may be different than mine, but mine... I, it's kind of a military thing with me and Jesus. <laughs> he just tells me what to do, and I'm supposed to salute. Go do it. You and Jesus may have a much gentler relationship, and that's, you know, and you can sit and you'll talk it through, and he'll help you get through that. And I, I'm so glad if that's the relationship you have with him. I just don't have that relationship with him. I think it's probably because of me, not him. That he knows I'm much more responsive to a two by six across the forehead than I am to a long protracted conversation about what we should be doing. It's just, you know. <laughs> so Jesus just works with me the way that works with me. <laughs> so I'm not saying that he has to talk to you the same way and that your conversations with Jesus have to go the way that mine go. I'm simply telling you at the end of your conversation with Jesus, however it goes, he's still God. You are not. You're supposed to do what he said. He's not supposed to do what you said. It's going to end up there. I just get there quicker. <laughs> Boom. Yes, sir. <laughs> I told you before, there's a two by six in heaven with my name on it, and it's all dented up on all sides. I start to pray, and the heavenly father looks over at one of the angels, hey, Weber's praying again, get me the two by six. It's, you know, yes, sir, okay. But I've come to accept that, because I know he's right. I know he's right. He's never abandoned me. He's never left me alone. He's never put me in a situation that I can't handle. There have been some times I thought I wasn't going to be able to handle it until I got through it with him and then found out, oh, we can do that. So here's your assignment before you go get your food. Repent! No, no, <laughs> sorry. That's a little too, too, too blunt. I'm sorry. <laughs> but can we just decide together today that for, I started to say for this week, but that's, that's too hard. For the rest of today. Okay, at least until lunch is over. 
that we'll just do what Jesus says. We'll just obey him. And so whether this is the first time you've ever admitted that, that you're going to obey Jesus and follow him, or whether you said that a long time ago, but you've come to some other weird place that says, yeah, he's God, but I got a few ideas of my own. Wherever you are, can, can we just collectively say today, at least until the end of lunch, I will be obedient to Jesus. Fair enough? Anybody want to opt out? <laughs> okay, we're all in. That's the best sermon I ever preached, man. Everybody's in. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So Jesus, here we are. We're the ones you made. You created us. That's why we exist. And then you made this incredible ball of planet thing for us to live on. So we're breathing your air and we're eating your food. We're existing because you made us. And we're just saying, thanks, God. That's great. And we're committing to remember that the next time we want to argue with you about what we should do or how we should live. So Jesus, for some of us today, first time ever. For some of us, it's, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Lost my way. We're saying you're God and we're not. We're going to do it your way, your time. We're going to be obedient to you because we know by what authority you do these things. For you are the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You are the only, the only Messiah. So we acknowledge you and we give thanks to you. And we go and celebrate what it means to live with you and each other. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah. What she said. Go be a light in a dark place. And the food is literally right outside the door, folks. So go out there. And I don't know who's going to go first because we're all supposed to wait for one another, right? I'll be in Christian out there. Okay, let's go get lunch.